every it's move every- I make, I'm making you. You make me move, Jesus. Every step I take, I take in you. Woo-hoo. Yeah, every move I make, I'm making you. You make me move, Jesus. Every step I take, I take in you. Oh, waves of mercy, waves of grace. Everywhere I look, I see your face. Your love has captured me. Oh, my God is love. How can it be? Na, 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 na. Welcome to the Dudes and Doxology Podcast. <laughs> everybody it is episode five and we just wanted to bless you number one with our just sultry voices and also just remind you how fantastic 90s christian contemporary music was why can't we go back to those days i miss it the we are of mercy Yes. Big houses. I used to think it was the waves of grain. And where they don't serve waves breakfast of in hell. Grain. Don't serve breakfast in hell. That's right. I, is that a song? I'm missing. Yeah. I don't get the reference. There's so a, there's the song the where it's like... The breakfast song by, um, by the new, Newsboys? 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 Yeah. The Newsboys are so adrenaline. old. But what 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 90s Christian song is not by the Newsboys? I mean, I know there's several, but they seem but like they have a lot. That song's about like it's talking about like your favorite breakfast foods, and it's like, let this song remind you that they don't serve <laughs> breakfast in hell. <sighs> it's not a bad song; it's just got really cheesy lyrics. <laughs> that's I mean, not true. They serve what Newsboys song, song doesn't have cheesy, cheesy lyrics? Revelation song. This is the Dudes and Doxology podcast. My name is JD. Here at the table to my left, I'm joined by the illustrious Kyle Rude. Can you spell illustrious for us? Jamie? And then to my right, I am sitting next to the grand poobah of them all, Hunter Thorpe. You can call me the Pope of Ankeny, Iowa. Judge Fudge. <laughs> Pennsylvania oh. Pope. I'm just kidding. The Pennsylvania Pope. Guys, it is episode five. It's been a little bit since we've had an episode last week. We just kind of, last week was our normal recording date. Uh, we all kind of needed just a break for just various reasons. So we're back. Um, the beautiful campus, the newly renovated podcast studio yes. at Ankeny Free Church. The walls have been finished uh, being painted. The painted. new sound uh, foam panels have been installed. There still is a ladder. <clears throat> there still is a vacuum. I think the ladder is our mascot at this point. 100%. Probably. Dudes and Doxology, go ladders. Um, but yeah, it's good to be with you. Before we go any further, let's jump into our devotional this uh, evening. And uh, thanks for letting us have a little fun as we open up the podcast tonight. We might we might do that more. Just we, open up each episode with a 90s you know yeah, let's CCM. Just, just get in touch with our inner charismatic. Mm-hmm. All right. This is from Proverbs 24, beginning in verse 30. And this is a passage I often go to just as a time of self-reflection, a time of kind of just check up in my life. Um, and I've also use this passage just as a go-to like in student ministry. Um, Proverbs chapter 24, beginning in verse 30. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked, and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber in want, like an armed man. And here's the question I want to pose to you quickly on a devotional uh, this episode. And I want to ask the question, how is your garden, listener? The writer asks the, the reader, the listener, I passed by the field of a sluggard 
someone who's lazy, a slug, someone who's slow, someone who doesn't do a lot of work by the vineyard or a garden of a, of a man lacking sense. And behold, he's, he's explaining, he, he's, he's showing us what the situation looks like. It was all overgrown with thorns. Hunter Kyle, are you guys gardeners? Kind of. My backyard would say no. <laughs> it is overgrown with thorns weeds. and nettles. Are you a gardener, Kyle? A little bit. Yeah. My dad um, owned a nursery, so he does very much as a green thumb. And so growing up, I used to, I, I used to have to pick weeds for a dollar an hour at the, at the nursery. And that sounds horrible. It was horrible. When but was when you're college. five, wow, a dollar. You know what I mean? That's a lot when you're five. Oh, my gosh. I mean, also, back when I only got we $2 like, a week when I was five. <laughs> Honestly, like when you're one, though, or sorry, when you were five, like a dollar a day, that could get you like a candy bar, a dollar an hour. Like it's enough to get you something you actually want, whereas nowadays you actually have to like work a decent amount of time at a dollar an hour to get something. For sure. And so um, the author goes, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. Now, I don't know if you know, listener, a lot about gardening, but I don't know much, but I do know that thorns being overgrown, the ground covered with nettles. I like to think of nettles as like uh, the little um, uh, stick-like things that fall off uh, like pine trees. Um, Stone wall was broken down, so there was nothing protecting the garden. It was just kind of... You know, free for all. Anyone could come in. Anyone could come out. Animals, people. It didn't matter. This garden was overgrown with weeds. Uh, the 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 fence or the stone wall had fallen down. I mean, this garden is just a mess. And then here's what the author says: Then I saw it and I considered it, and I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Here's the point. How's your garden? And I'm not talking about the garden in your backyard or at your mom's house or grandma's garden. I'm talking about your spiritual garden of your soul. Is your spiritual garden in good shape? Are the weeds pulled? Is the stone wall built and strong, keeping out things that shouldn't be there? keeping what's in there protected and safe? Is the ground uh, not covered with nettles? Is, are there, are there th- the thorns, are they, have they been, been removed, re- removed or are all the leaves and, and, tw- and twigs and vines, have they been cut back? Are, are things under control? Because as verse 33 says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little spiritual sleep, a little spiritual slumber, a little spiritual nap, Taking a break. Man, I don't need to go to church this week. Man, I, I, I can miss a couple days reading my Bible. I, I don't need to pray about this. I don't need to have Christian fellowship. I don't need to be feeding my soul the seed of God's word. I don't need to be watering it. I don't need to be tilling the soil of my heart so when the God's word, the seed, comes into my heart, it, it produces fruit. I don't need to be doing any of these things. I can just kind of take, you know, sit back and, and chill and relax. Verse 34, and poverty will come upon you. Spiritual poverty. I have written down in my Bible, ruin and destruction will come upon you like a robber, very quickly, unexpectedly, and want like an armed man. And so how is your garden? Do you have some spiritual weeds that need pulled? Do you have some thorns that need taken away? Does your stone wall that keeps your garden safe need rebuilt? Take some assessment. 
to your spiritual garden this episode as it, I, I, I try to do that on a, on a regular basis. This passage has been such an encouragement to me ever since I heard it preached uh, about 10 years ago when I was in college. Thank you for sharing, J.D. With that, I just want to ask you all, uh, how did the refinery kickoff go? Dude, it was awesome. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was really awesome. So for those of you who don't know, this podcast is sponsored by, brought to you by The Refinery. The Refinery is the young adult and college ministry of Ankeny Free Church. We meet at 7.30 on Tuesday nights here at church, here at Ankeny Free Church in the fireside room. Yep. Um, we had our fall kickoff. The refinery's about a year old. Yeah. yeah. We had our fall kickoff this past Tuesday night. And I walked away encouraged, mm-hmm. joyful. Uh, we had young adults who, you know, I had maybe chalked up to, man, I don't know if I'll see them again, show up. Uh, we had our new intern Jonah there. We had a couple new people there. A couple of our students who had just graduated from high school were at the refinery. Like you just kind of see the pipeline working. Um, because that's what the refinery is for. It's for just, you know, 18 to 20 something year olds in our church, especially like those who graduated from student ministry. Like we want something for them. We don't want them to just kind of fall off a cliff and be like, well, okay, we'll see you when you're 25 married and maybe have a kid. Like we have a ministry for you now to stay plugged in. Mm. Um, and so it was great. Kyle taught church history. Yep. 101, week yep. one, the third century, right? Third century, yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. And for those who don't know, when you come to a refinery event, what does the layout look like? What can you, what can you expect and what will you do? So when people first come in, um, going to come in and everybody's just hanging out, you know, people are having conversations, might just be catching up with each other, things like that kick off the night, have some, maybe have some announcements. JD and I will help get everybody up to speed. Uh, and then, uh, we'll start up having music. So right now, um, it's just, just three, three of us musicians, um, putting together two songs, something real quick, just to, just to kind of get our hearts ready. Um, having worship back in the refinery oh, like, was a joy. Oh yeah. Cause we haven't, there was always something worship. missing yes. without it. We had, well, we weren't really able to do it. Right. Cause we couldn't. Cause it was just, you know, we were just in a season of, we just can't pull this off right now. Yep. And then now we can, cause yep. we have some people like that was like, yeah, like that was a huge blessing to my heart. Yeah. I will say as far as worship is concerned, you don't have to have music as your favorite part of it, but right. everybody should be participating in music. That's just, it really shows where your heart's at. Like, and I think and JD, everybody was not uh, that night. Like I, I don't think I looked and saw anybody who wasn't. And what was cool, it's like we don't have a you know an illustrious sound system no. in there, so like it's just really voices and tone and an acoustic guitar. That's it was all a, we had. yeah, it was a joy just to like have this kind of organic type of yep. pared down feel. And I mean, I could hear the people around yep. me, uh, like it was good for my heart. Like I seriously walked away like having confirmation in my heart, like Lord, like you are working, like this is why we're doing this because I mean I. I don't know about you, but like starting something from scratch is hard. Yes. Um, and like our church isn't like the biggest church in the world. And so like, you know, there's only so many young adults in our church. It's not like we have this just vast pool of, you know, 218 to 20 somethings in our church. Like it's very limited. Um, and there have been times, if I'm honest, Kyle and Hunter, like in the refinery this last, you know, 13 months where I have questioned like, man, like this is hard, God. You know, we have four people show up. Yeah. Those nights were hard. Like, 
Like it's just a punch in the gut. I remember, I remember when I taught one night, there was me, you, and three other guys. Yeah. There was one night where I, I taught and I think it was before I brought you in and it was me and like three other dudes. Yeah. And I was just like, Lord, what are you doing? And two of them probably helped you get the refinery started. Yeah, exactly. Well, and so like, really it's like one other guy. Yeah, so they're like, yeah. Lord, what are you doing? Like this is, I'm working, we're working so hard. We're doing this because like we thought your hand was on this and like just last Tuesday night, like it's clear the Lord does. And he, I was just texting one of those young adults where you had kind of chalked them up to, Hey, I don't know if I'll ever see him again at a church thing. And like, I was just texting them tonight and they're like, I'm going to be back at the refinery. I need to be back in church. Like I, I, I loved it. And I was like, it was good for my heart. That's awesome. Ministry's hard. Like, Ministry's hard and it's, it's a grueling thing. And man, I would like, it was just a joy. Yeah. The game was a blast. People oh, yeah. were like hardcore into it. I got into it pretty good. You too. did. <laughs> when you got, when you got ousted at like the category you should have, <laughs> you should have been the best in. Yeah. The, the, this is coming from somebody who reads a lot. I, <laughs> I, I almost said that the Chronicles of Narnia was a book written by C.S. <laughs> Lewis and that was pretty bad for me. Oh, wait, it's good. Chronicles of Narnia. I had to list three books by an author and I almost said, or what three was books it? by C.S. Lewis. Lewis. And I said, the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> and I mean, then Ella Erickson in the back stands up and got, got it's it. It's a right. series of books, but I didn't list out actual books. Like the name of the books. And then right before I realized what my thoughts were, one, of the, one of the other Ella, people she, got, she, yeah, Ella, Ella got called it, yeah. you out and said, nah, 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 man, you need to do the Lion, the Witch, and the Ward, yes. the Horse and His Boy, and Prince Caspian. I'm pretty sure yes. that's what she said. That's almost exact. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So anyways, Refinery Kickoff was great. Like it was a joy. Like I'm genuinely excited for the refinery moving forward. We're in a great spot. Um, if you're listening to this and you're a 18 to 20 something in our church or like just around the metro area, I'm not sure where you are. And we'd love to have you. You can find us at the refinery AFC on Instagram, um, ankenyfree.church slash refinery online. Like we just, we'd love to like meet you and like help you get connected with other young adults and uh, get better connected to God. We also uh, we also study theology in the Bible as well as playing games and singing. Music. Yeah, we don't just play games and sing. Like we actually have like in depth uh, yeah. biblical study, and it's like it's really good. There's good discussions that come out of the the teaching, but which I think is more valuable. Soda out of somebody else's sock. Not yet. Oof. We're not that youth group yet. No, <laughs> let's let's not. <laughs> and I, I not haven't even done games. that game in youth group. No, I've I have only never seen it on TV to be honest. I have never done the. All right, grab your neighbor's sock. I went now here, put it over a I went here for youth group, and we never got anywhere near that crazy. I've done Happy Meal in a Blender before. Yeah, you did that once. I've done I've done a Thanksgiving meal yep. in a Blender too. Like those yeah. are fun and easy. Like they're not. It's not gross. I would say probably. Uh, anyway, we don't want to get we don't want to get reminiscing, but we can. Let's, let's it is Catholicism versus Protestantism, part two. Kyle or Hunter, why are we having this conversation? Like, why are we doing Protestantism versus Catholicism part one and two? Well, I mean, when you look at American uh, church layout, the vast majority of Americans would either identify as uh, Catholic or Protestant, the majority being, or not the majority, but the plurality being Catholic. Um, They make up 1.2 billion folks worldwide, and that's from a 2012 census of the Catholic Church. It's hard to tell if those numbers are accurate or not, though, because it's next to impossible to get off the rolls once you're on the rolls. 
and if you're baptized in, you are in that role, even though they baptize you at seven, ten days old. And in um, in Ankeny, fifteen yep. percent uh, of the population. So right where we're at, there's more people who would identify as Catholic than who would identify as Protestant. You know, one of the one of the mainline denominations, or just even evangelical free, one of those things. Right, absolutely, and we have we have two different Catholic churches here here in town. Um, and uh, about a year ago, we took the man maybe six months ago, we took the refinery to visit a mass Sunday morning mass. Do you remember that? Unfortunately, I wasn't able to go. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yes. I was really looking forward to it, but I wasn't. And we went to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart uh, down on First, and um, like I think it was like their eight a.m. or eight thirty, and like there were easily four hundred people there. Mm. Easily. Right. And that's actually pretty consistent. Like Catholics are pretty darn good about getting out and going to church. Yeah. You get your grace administered. There was, there, was, <laughs> there was no flash. There was no, you know, lights. There was no, you know, smoke machine. You know, there was no rockin' worship leader. There's no free pizza, donuts, you know, like not, none of that. Like when you think of like, you know, seeker sensitive churches in America, you think of those things. None of that was at the Catholic Church. It was very much, obviously, liturgical, straight-laced, come in, sit down. Uh, and uh, I, don't even, I don't even think there were, like, TVs or projection. Like, there was no, like, visual elements to the service. It was uh, actually, like, very fascinating. The only visual element to Catholic worship is usually when they're uh, consecrating and presenting the Eucharist, when right. they're raising it up and right. blessing it. But, you know, here in our churches, we're used to, like, you know, TVs, big projectors, mm-hmm. things to look at. There was none of that. All right. So, you know, let's just kind of like all the way at the beginning and do our, you know, due diligence in history. So like, where do Catholics come from? Well, uh, Catholics would claim the history of Christianity as just like exclusively their own history. Like they would claim their history goes all the way back to Jesus, to Peter, and of the apostles and the Catholic church sees itself as the one true church here on this, on this uh, planet. You know, they see all history up until the Protestant reformation on October 31st, 1517 as the history of the Catholic church. So um, here's how we get the Roman Catholic church. And when I talk with, you know, people about uh, Roman Catholicism or, you know, Catholicism. I, I love to use those three words and for uh, a reason I'm about to explain. So Roman Catholic Church. So let's start with just the church, ecclesia, just kind of a gathering, the called out ones, if you will. Um, we all agree on that term and like that term, right? Catholic, just at face value, just means universal, um, you know, just all over uh, everyone. So I mean, in theory, uh, and actually, in, in, you know, technically speaking, you know, Hunter, Kyle, and I, like, we're all, we're part of the Catholic Church, the universal church, absolutely. Right. Uh, taking that at, like, just purely at what those words mean. Little, and, little c in English. Right. Uh, right, right. Anybody who's in the Orthodox tradition who could affirm the Apostles' Creed is within the Catholic universal yes. church. Right. That's why you see in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I think it was maybe uh, yeah, the one word of Catholic is in yeah one of the Creed. versions. I don't know if it's the earliest version, uh, yes. but the word Catholic is used. Yep. The the Holy Catholic Church, um, uh, and then here's where what we were talking about Roman Roman Catholic 
church. Um, so Peter and Paul spread the gospel around the region. Obviously, in the first century, you see the gospel spreading. In the second, in the third century, uh, Kyle, you taught on third century Christianity in the refinery on Tuesday night. James was the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem uh, right after Pentecost. And then here's the big date where we see the Roman Catholic Church kind of have its uh, beginnings, origins, um, is 313 AD, where Constantine, and Kyle, you talked about this on, on Tuesday night. Yes. The emperor of the Roman Empire at the time merged all the pagan priests, so with all the other pagan religions and belief systems, so they're, they're priests, they're holy men, with the successors of the biblical church making the official state government Roman Catholic Church. So, you know, we don't see any beads, any candles, any vestments, any tiaras, uh, wedding, you know, weird clothing, anything like that in Christian, um, you know, practice until 313 AD when the pagans were merged with the true church, diluting the true church, making the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, and another thing to note about that too is that until Constantine... Um, Christianity was not recognized as a legal religion, quote unquote, um, edict until Milan, the Edict of yeah. Milan, right? Um, and leading up to that point, there were several great, you know, there were two great persecutions, several other persecutions of the church. And it wasn't until the Edict of Milan that Christianity was made so that it um, could no longer be persecuted by directly by the Roman government for what it was. Up until that point, it was, quote unquote, illegal in the sense that it wasn't recognized by Rome. Weirdly enough, Constantine kind of has this mixed legacy with the yeah. church because he right. has this thing that where he merges some of the pagan practices with Christian practices, but, man, he legalizes it, allowing the church to be healthy for the first time, not be in a fight-or-flight mode for right. the first time in its existence. It allows them to build buildings. It allows them right. so much things. Go public. That allowed to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then... The other negative drawback of all of that is now that they're not being persecuted, you just have people coming in for less than genuine reasons to become Christian. When you're yes. under persecution, there's no material benefit to being Christian. Right. There's really, you're only joining if you believe it's true. Whereas after uh, Constantine, you have people who are joining Christianity for political reasons. It's something that's going to advance them in their social causes. So, I mean, Constantine has this kind of mixed legacy, and I think there's some great things he did, especially in the terms of social reform. He outlawed, uh, you know, executing children, things like that, or uh, yeah, really good stuff. sacrificing humans, good things. Yeah, but just mm. weird legacy. Cool. All right, um, that's just kind of the where do Catholics come from? So 313 AD is kind of where it all stems from. All right. So we're, the, the next couple section is sections we're going to walk through just practical differences between what evangelical, orthodox, gospel-centered Christianity is and then what Roman Catholic theology states and believes. And we're not just uh, you know uh, you know making things up. We we have uh, references to. Uh, Catholic catechisms, to um, councils, to councils, to uh, to canons, uh, right in front of us. So we are just r- r- strictly reading straight 
from what Catholic Catholic doctrine material states. All right, so let's talk about obviously the first thing, big thing is salvation. So uh, evangelical Christianity. So Christians believe that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. You have that sola fide, sola Christus, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is a great example, as well as the entire book of Galatians. And it makes the case that salvation is apart from works. A person is justified by faith alone. Romans 5.1 states this. And, and of course, true faith produces good works. James chapter 2 says that. Romans 3.28, it says this. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Here's what Catholicism states. Catholics believe that salvation is a little more complicated than that. It's multifaceted. And it comes through a couple things. Baptism, faith, good works, and remaining in a state of grace, like being in the good in good standing with the Catholic Church or like participating in the sacraments, attending mass, stuff like that. Justification, Catholics would say, is not a forensic declaration made based on faith, but the culmination of progression of the above elements, like all the things stated above. Canon 9, quote, says this, If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified, let him be damned. That's Canon 9 of the Council of Trent for anybody who's wondering. Thank you for that clarification, Hunter. Yeah, so you just see these massive difference, this this massive difference right off the bat with with salvation. Something something else to note, you know, it ends with let him be damned if you if you affirm that thing that salvation is by faith alone or justification is by faith alone. It's not just your casual, you know, curse <laughs> right. that somebody would make nowadays. Casual it's curse. Like, it's like literally we are saying that if you affirm you deserve this, hell. there is no you are hope going for to hell. You. Right. You're going straight to hell, no purgatory. You're not even going to be perpetually in purgatory like you are in hell. Right, and on top of that, it's just very interesting because the idea of salvation and justification, the Catholic Church really did not touch on these prior to the Reformation. They have so many councils, so many synods and meetings throughout church history, but this is really the first one where they deal with the topic of justification, and they immediately come out swinging against of the position that had been advanced by Luther. And Luther was not the first person to advance no. this. Uh, Jan Hus and many other people during the medieval times had advanced it, but most of them ended up at the uh, fiery end of a nice pile of sticks. Mm. Yeah. So additionally, uh, Roman Catholicism and Protestantism, uh, they differ on what baptism is. And there's so many different views on uh, Protestant baptism, but I'm going to touch on the one that's uh, predominant here uh, in the United States uh, amongst evangelicals, uh, Baptists, and that is that Christians hold that baptism is a symbolic ceremony meant to demonstrate a person's faith in Christ and his or her identification with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is not in and of itself a saving act. Rather, baptism points to the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross Going back to Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 9, which uh, J.D. previously mentioned, uh, it says that, For by grace we have been saved through faith, not that, <clears throat> that not of yourself it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Catholicism, on the other hand, holds that baptism is a means of grace which cleanses a person from original sin, is a saving act. An infant apart from faith is cleansed of sin and brought into friendship with God via baptism, according to Catholic theology and practice. 
according to the Catholic Catechism uh, from 2000, uh, or sorry, it would have been made here in the last century. It says the Council of Trent teaches that the Ten Commandments are obligatory for Christians and that the justification, justified man is still bound to keep them. All men may attain salvation through faith, baptism, and observance of the commandments. So within this, we have kind of uh, just a whole lot to unpack. Uh, I just want to point out one thing that's really interesting with all of this. I have a, one of my best friends growing up. He was Roman Catholic. I would go to Mass with him pretty regularly when I would stay the night at his house. And I just recall this one time we were talking about why was Jesus baptized um, because, you know, there's just this question. Jesus gets baptized, uh, and he obviously didn't have original sin, but that's what his uh, mom told us. It's because Jesus needed to wash away the original sin, which he would mm. have had from Mary, which is actually a very interesting thing in the context of being it's a good Roman Catholic take. because Roman Catholics believe that Mary was without sin as well. So right, it's one of those things that's like, <laughs> I don't more think hairy. you know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> about but still. Catholicism or how it really is. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Uh However, there's just so much that goes on here. Uh, J.D. Kyle, love your thoughts on uh, Roman Catholic baptism versus Protestant baptism. Well, it's just wild to me. Like, we talk about baptism, and in the context of Catholicism, it's like you get saved once, and then you got to keep it up, getting more grace. Yes. Um, if you commit a mortal sin, all of a sudden that baptism, it doesn't really matter anymore. Uh, to an extent, and so you've got to you got to get yourself back into a right standing before God. It just it just plays right into that works based uh, aspect of of Roman Catholic uh, salvation. Well, I, I mean, I I, I find it because um, obviously I talk with a lot of people who are from uh, you know they have a Catholic background in a sense, or even like you know Lutheran for that matter, or Methodist, like they were baptized as an infant. Um, in that, you know, one of those, uh, faith practices. And for some of them, it's such a hurdle to get, uh, baptized biblically. Uh, you know, in, in some sense, it's almost like a rejection of their, you know, uh, uh, family faith to be, you know, baptized by immersion after they have made a profession of faith. And, um, yeah, I just, I just struggle, um, you know, uh, uh, obviously in scripture, we don't see any example of infant baptism. Uh, every example we see is by immersion, um, uh, you know, after a profession of faith has been made. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, obviously there's just a huge discrepancy here between what Catholic theology states and just what we plainly see in scripture. I mean, it's not, not necessarily directly related to baptism, but Hunter, what you read there, the Canon two two thousand sixty eight of the of the Catholic Catechism. Uh, it says all men may attain salvation through faith, Comma, baptism, yeah. and the observance of the commandments. It's like what so like to me when I think about trying to merge faith and works or faith and baptism as being necessary for salvation. I just I just can't fathom how you can even say faith is even necessary if works are also necessary. Right. I mean if because if you want to say it's both, well, neither one of those two things alone is enough. You've got to somehow you got to have both. But then, if you don't have any works, then your faith doesn't matter. If you don't have works, your faith doesn't matter. I mean, it's just just it's just wild to me trying to wrap my head around that. 
And to be fair, there's there's varying views that kind of fall on this spectrum. You have Lutherans who do teach that baptism is absolutely necessary, and I I really don't know where they fall on infants who pass prior to baptism. I don't know what their view is on that specifically. I know that within Catholicism, there's like a certain area of purgatory that is made for the infants who are passed before they're able to be baptized. So there's just this whole question that it creates within the whole schema and economy of salvation. So along those same lines, right, baptism, the whole idea of salvation in Roman Catholicism, um, trying to trying to understand how those things work together is wild to me. Also, praying to the saints is another one of those things that I, that I try to wrap my head around. Um, <clears throat> so as a Christian, I believe, and J.D. Hunter believed this, uh, prayer is an act of worship. We're only to worship God, obviously. That's what we're created to do. Christians believe that we should pray to God as instructed by Jesus. Uh, Jesus tells us how to pray. His disciples ask him, how should we pray? He responds telling the them Lord's prayer. what we, yeah, what we call the Lord's prayer, something, um, yeah. Christians don't see any biblical warrant for praying to the deceased. Okay. So praying to anyone other, right. We don't want to pray to anyone other than God. And many see this practice as dangerously close to necromancy which is prohibited by the scriptures for sure. Necromancy. 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 <laughs> no, necromancy. You said necromancy. it correctly. I did? Necromancy. Necromancy. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> necromancy. Sounds cooler. Not it does. Yes. It really does. It sounds like I know what I'm talking about when I say it like that. Diplomacy. Necromancy. Yeah. So really, when you're praying to people who are dead, you're saying that they can hear you, that they can respond to you. And that's, I mean, necromancy is all about that. Communicating with the dead acting with the dead, working with them, doing things. And then that they then they, more than they, they can hear you, yes. then they can Act do something what about what you are praying about. Right. It's like my prayers to God, me, like I, so some Catholics have described it to me as, um, there's a part in the Bible that says the prayers of the righteous accomplish much. Availeth much, yeah. Availeth much. And it's like, yeah, but I've been declared righteous. <laughs> Boom. Anyway, I'm not going to drop my mic because they're expensive. But. Yeah, please don't. So then that brings us to uh, kind of toward the end of the book of Revelation. Okay. Um, Revelation 22 verses 8 to 9. John is at the end of his visions that he's receiving from God. Um, he, he sees this angel and we're going to see what happens here. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as those who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. Okay, so if an angel tells me I should only worship God, and this angel has been showing me all of these things, proving to me that this is actually an angel. I'm going to listen. listen. Now, in the other thing, too, um, we see all throughout the Bible, from Genesis through Revelation, angels are telling people, don't worship me. Right. Get up. Don't worship me. I'm a servant just like you. Jesus is the only one who doesn't say that. Jesus Jesus alone should be worshipped. Pause. Have you guys seen those memes about like <laughs> biblically accurate like angels? Yes, they're awesome. <laughs> it's, like, it's like 20 eyes. <laughs> I saw one, the guy's in a hospital bed dying and he's and this, the nurse thinks he's hitting on him on her. He's like, am I in heaven? 
Because I see an angel. And she thinks he's talking about her. And then behind him, there's this swirling mass of eyeballs. Oh, my gosh. It's so scary. Oh, sorry. I thought about that. What do Catholics believe about praying to saints? Well, I'm glad you asked, JD. <laughs> it's almost like that was a setup. Canon 2679 of the Catholic Catechism says, Mary is the perfect prayer, a figure of the church. When we pray to her, we are adhering with her to the plan of the Father who sends his Son to save all men. Like the beloved disciple, we welcome Jesus' mother into our homes, for she has become the mother of all the living. We can pray with and to her. The prayer of the church is sustained by the prayer of Mary and united with it in hope. Wow. Just in stark contrast to well, and, what, what, what scripture says. So the way I've, I've, I've had it described to me is that the, when we pray, when a Catholic prays to Mary and Mary goes to Jesus with that prayer, it's more likely to be answered when Mary goes to Jesus for you. Um, the justification for that is at the wedding of Cana. Right. When Jesus is Jesus asked goes, Mary, to yeah. help uh, in some way, um, it's, they claim that only at the insistence of Mary does Jesus help. And because of that, it's because Mary asks. Yeah. Him, right. We have a pattern where we can see that we should ask Mary these things. Right. And when Jesus tells his apostle John to take care of Mary, that is typological of us all being to bear the responsibility of having Mary as our mother. I, I am privilege. I'm so glad that I know that I can go straight to Jesus. Yeah, amen. And Mary was a sinner yes. who needed to have her sins forgiven by her son, who needed to play, place her faith and trust in her son. Yes. At, she even watched him be crucified. Yes. And Mary needed to be redeemed just like me. And I am glad that I have a kingly high priest in Jesus Christ that I can go straight to. The only mediator between God and men. Let's talk about idol worship. Maybe we'll find some level footing here. Both Catholics and Christians, guys, they would they would agree that uh, idol worship is sinful. Okay, good. But Catholics would disagree with the charge made by many Christians that uh, of idolatry concerning like things like Catholic statues, like of Mary, different relics that the Catholic Church finds. You know, hey, this piece of wood was from a boat that Peter sailed on or something like that. And even the Catholic view of the Eucharist, however, bowing down to images is a form of worship. Catholic Catechism 721, Mary, the all-holy ever-virgin mother of God, is the masterwork of the mission of the Son and the Spirit in the fullness of time. Here's what Orthodox Christianity says. Christians, on the other hand, we view these things as dangerously close, if not outright, idolatry. Further, we, we see the, the adoration of the elements of like the Eucharist as idolatry since Christians, we reject the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, that the elements become the actual blood and body of Jesus. Thus, adoring the elements is not really worshiping Jesus. Exodus 20 Verses 3 through 5, this probably is a verse that comes to your mind. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above and that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. 
Thoughts on worship of idols? Don't do it. <laughs> it's probably I, good practice. I just have a really funny and quick story about this, and I'm not condoning this story, but I just think it's pretty funny. So John Knox, who my son is named after, um, he preached this sermon against idolatry, particularly having uh, statues in church that uh, people would bow to and things like that. And he got his congregation so fired up that they went to a local church and they burn it to the ground. And I'm like, oh, I can see my son actually being that guy. But <laughs> I'm not saying that's He's a only good three, thing. Hunter. I know. <laughs> I was that guy in high school. <laughs> Let's go burn it down. Yeah, like just don't have idols of Mary. Like it's just just clear in scripture. Well, well, okay, here, look at this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Okay, got it. Assuming Mary was right with her son, had faith in him, where is where is Mary? She's, she's in she's, heaven. She's in heaven. You shall not bow down to them. What do, what do, what do people do at Catholic Mass? They bow. They bow down to a statue of Mary. Yep. That's just one example. There's, there's, there's a lot. What's wild is in church history prior to the 5th century, we actually don't see people bowing in mm. worship. It's kind of just this wild thing that comes a little bit later top of that uh this whole thing of idolatry we don't see a lot of images coming around till about the the fifth century either mm-hmm. prior to that there was kind of just a universal agreement and then you have people like uh i want to say that it was a uh, jerome or maybe a little bit after jerome who said like images were helpful for people who were illiterate and that's ultimately how images started becoming part of regular worship i think i think you're right I think that was jerome I saw this video of the current Pope, um, in, you know, in front of some, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure St. Peter's and, uh, there's a line of people coming and each person, every single person did the exact same thing. They'd kind of curtsy bow before him mm. and then like try to kiss his, his holy ring. And every time he'd like, you know, awkwardly, like kind of like after he shakes their hand, they try to kiss the ring. He'd like kind of awkwardly like pull it away. You guys seen that video? Like Mm -hmm. it's super, like every single person did the exact same thing. And every single time he pulled his hand away so they wouldn't kiss it. And I think he, I think he was not trying to spread germs, which, okay, cool. But like, I was going to say that doesn't sound COVID safe. No, it doesn't. But then like, I mean, like that's worshipful bowing down, kiss the ring. Like it just makes me sick to be honest. Well, it's, it's weird too. I, I get what you're saying, but there's also a level of just honor and respect because that's what people did for their kings and queens. Of course. History. So it's, there's this other level of it that's kind of like treating the Pope as royalty, which He's does not. kind of carry over from medieval times a little bit too. There were a lot of emperors who were popes at the same time or were very close to the, the papacy. Right. Gregory the Great. Gregory the Great. All right. With that, we're also going to dive into what Catholicism and or Christianity, uh, Protestantism, teach about uh, life after death. Uh, Christians believe that there's a literal heaven and a literal hell, and that when the faithful die, they go to immediately to the presence of Christ and will dwell eternally with him in the new heavens and in the new earth, and that those who perish in unbelief go to a place of torment and will dwell eternally away from the presence of God in the lake of fire. Examples of this that we see in Scripture, we see that in Philippians 1, uh, verse 23, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 58, Revelation 19, 20, Revelation 20, <laughs> uh, pretty much all of Revelation towards the end is see that. big on that uh, lake of fire, you know, it's talking about that, and uh, we we believe that to be a, a literal thing. Um, 
John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent, believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Catholicism, on the other hand, teaches that uh, those who die in friendship with God will either go directly to heaven or to a place called purgatory for further purification through pain. How long a person endures purgatory is not certain and depends on many factors, including prayers and indulgence, good works that living people do on their behalf, and uh, those who die in the name of God go directly to hell. So there's this like three-tier level. There's where the, the super-Christian goes, mm. where the average Christian goes, and then where the non-Christian goes. So there's this kind of three-level tier of it. Uh, the Trentinian Creed from Pope Pius IV from around uh, 1564 says, I constantly hold that there is a purgatory and that the souls therein detained are helped by the suffrage of the suffrages of the faithful. One thing to note about this, this is really... This was actually at the heart of what really got Martin Luther on fire right. was the idea of uh, indulgence, purgatory, that there are all these different things that you can do in order to earn your salvation by paying your great aunt's debt off so she can go to heaven. Um, and what's weird is people don't think that indulgences are still a thing. They actually have only changed their name, but there are still ways to make payments for people who are in purgatory that's part of the the Catholic Church. Um, I, I recently discovered that when I was doing some research for something unrelated to this, and I was actually a little shocked. Uh, I, I, I thought that that practice had been uh, kind of taken away since uh, 17, 1800s, but no, it's a, a continuing practice to this day. Tutsal is quoted, as we saw, it, this is a real quote, as we also yeah. saw in the Luther films. It's a good movie, by the way. Which, Hunter, have you seen that, it. Luther? Yes, absolutely. It is a fantastic film. It's a little cheesy, but like it's like I think extremely historically accurate. Tutsal is quoted in 1517. So Tutsal uh, was the priest that was preaching and trying to get people to do He this. was the lead uh, person to fill the coffers of Rome. About 50 years before the Trentine Creed, it's quoted as saying, as soon as the coin in the coffers ring, the soul from purgatory springs. What a catchphrase. I'm sure I mean, the guy's a mar- marketing too. genius. Or German, sorry. Yeah, probably German. But a marketing genius. That is a g- catchy phrase. And it worked. They built St. Peter's Basilica off all that money. Right. Something, have, you have a lot yeah. of friends. I mean, you have a handful of friends, Kyle, yeah. I know of that are like, yeah. you know, st- uh, stark Catholics. Have you ever chatted with them about purgatory specifically? Like, you, I mean, we just don't see that anywhere in scripture. So... Yeah, there's one passage that I've consistently been told to go read, and that's um, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 9 through 15. Um, I don't know. Do you guys want me to read it? Read that I passage. would love for you to read it. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." Now, how that's explained to me is it's not 
they will, a lot of people admit that this is not where it's not a direct statement confirming all of the things that are said about purgatory Mm -hmm. in Catholic theology. However, what they say is that this is like, this, this is where it's hinted at in scripture. So they use this as a I love a when scripture hints, hints at major things. It, it hints at things that... <laughs> at one passage. I love when yeah. the scripture, God hints at major things. Well, and it's only really that last Sorry, verse. I'm, Kyle, to, I'm getting, I'm getting fired good. up, no, Kyle. It's, it it get, honestly gets me fired up, too, because it's deceived so many people. I love and, when God hints about eternity. Yeah, <laughs> right. And really, it's only the last verse. If anyone's work is burned up, only as through fire, it's those types of things that um, that have been said to me. Okay, this is your biblical justification for purgatory, um, and it re- honestly, it really just seems like instead of starting with the Bible, like a proper exegesis would be, right? You're you're starting with these extra man-made doctrines, and then finding something in the Bible that resembles what you want to say, right. To justify it. And in reality, I mean, I don't want to get into the weeds on this passage because I've done a lot of I've done a lot of looking into it. Um, but it really, this passage refutes the idea of purgatory if you look if you look really close into it, because it specifically says your works are what go through the fire. It doesn't say you go through the fire, right? But it, but yeah, that could, maybe that can be part like twenty or something. <laughs> There's a, forgive me for not knowing the reference, but. Uh, absent from the body is be, is present with the Lord. Yeah. Uh, to, I mean, like that is to me. I mean, I, again, I I like to think that Christianity is both rational and reasonable. Um, I don't know how you can take those two thoughts of okay, you can have faith and you know go through all these things as a good Catholic and as a good Christian. Um, but you probably are going to spend, you know, at least some time in purgatory, which is suffering. Uh, but I, you know, if people who love you pray for you enough, or they give enough money to the church or they do enough good things, then after an undetermined period of time, you can then go to be with the presence in the presence of your savior as if Christ's work was not good enough to buy you from the slave market of sin and to free you from the shackles of eternal damnation and hell. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there is uh, an article that I have recently read that talks about uh, where you can find scripture in the Bible. And the article defines, uh, or it says purgatory is in the Bible, just not your Bible. And it goes to apocryphal books that the Roman Catholic Church looks to, yeah, that all, yeah. particularly 2 Maccabees, uh, mm. Saruk, or I think that's the name, Saruk. And then um, lastly, the Book of Tobit, each of those talking about purgatory. And obviously Protestants reject them. Even even Luther, uh, who said that, you know, it's a book that's good for reading but not good for forming theology, he, he rejected purgatory. He didn't reject he, – he rejected the teaching of those books but said they were good for, you know, background information. I mean, First Maccabees tells us a great story that I think gives right. us some, like – gap in the canon from when we see intertestamental period yeah exactly very important place to know stuff about all right let's do um one more uh section audience and then we'll uh push this back for another episode but let's talk about um the differences that you know evangelicals and catholics um view like penance or like you know confessing your sins to a priest so 
Um, evangelical Christianity would believe that there is just one mediator between God and man, God and man, and that is Jesus, 1 Timothy 2, 5. Further, Christians believe that the one-time sacrifice of Jesus Christ is completely sufficient to cover the sins of a Christian, sins past, present, and future. And there is no further need of absolution absolution from a priest. Christ is enough. And here's that 1 Timothy 2, 5 reference. There is, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus was the man. I want to put that on a t-shirt. Here's what Catholics believe. Catholics believe in the need to confess sins to a priest who has the delegated power of absolution. Uh, Further penance might be necessary to cancel some sins. Thus, the forgiveness of sins is not based upon the atonement of Jesus Christ alone, but in large measure upon the works of contrition by the sinner. Catholic Catechism 980, and I quote, It is through the sacrament of penance that the baptized can be reconciled with God and with the church. Penance has rightly been called by the Holy Fathers, quote, a laborious kind of baptism, end quote. This sacrament of penance is necessary for salvation for those who have fallen after baptism, just as baptism is necessary for salvation for those who have not yet been reborn. You kind of have a double whammy there in that last sentence. Just as water baptism is necessary for salvation for those who have not yet been born. This, I mean, this reminds me of a, a, a silly meme, and you guys... Uh, may recall this one from the office there's this thing where michael thinks he's invented the screwdriver drink vodka orange juice (laughs) orange vodka juice (laughs) but the meme is that uh it's the pope during covid saying you don't have to go to a priest to confess your sins you can confess them directly to god dude and then you have jim who's dressed up like martin luther saying (laughs) i wish somebody else would have thought of this (laughs) i can't believe no one else thought about this before right uh, I mean, guy. To be, it's just sad. Yeah. It's it's just it's sad, Kyle. I know you have some thoughts. Yeah, I, I mean, it it, it it's explicit right there. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. There's there's no, nothing that our fellow men can do to save us, to regenerate us. Um, it's all a work of God. It's not going to come from us being penitential. From us partaking of us confessing our sins to a priest, we don't even need to confess our sins to a priest. The Bible does talk about confessing our sins to one another, all oh, right, and being James healed. James five sixteen, yeah, James five sixteen, and to, to build up the church, right. right? It's not, it's not for our salvation. It is for our mutual edification, building and for each other a up. level of accountability. And account- yes, oh, yeah. like when you're struggling with sin, you should have somebody that you can say, "Hey, I screwed up bad," and that person should be able to call you out and help you to get back on track. Yes, I'm so thankful that. I love our pastor. I'm so thankful that I don't have to sit down with him, you know, once a week, once a month, and in a dark box where I can barely see his face and confess every little sin or try to recall every little thing that I've done and try to, you know, ask him to forgive me or absolve me of those things that I can go straight to the source, cut out the middleman, as Michael Scott would say, and I can go straight to Christ mm-hmm. who actually has the power and 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 the right and the sovereignty to forgive me of my sins. For further reading on that, I would suggest Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 10. <laughs> Whoa. 
Well, friends, that is all the time we have for uh, this episode. We still have so much more to get to, Kyle and Hunter. We still have to talk about priests, which we kind of already talked about a little bit, but there's a lot more to talk about. Uh, the views of the Bible. We have to talk about the Holy Eucharist, Catholic Mass, transubstantiation. That's a big deal. And also, like, was Peter the first pope? We'll answer that question. And the weighty question at the very end, are Catholics Christians? And when I say Christians, are they believing, redeemed, sanctified uh, uh, Christians, uh, p- uh, people on their way uh, to e- eternity uh, in heaven with Christ. We'll, we'll talk about those topics. We'll answer those questions, at least to the best of our ability, next time. But for now, we're going to leave you with this episode's doxology. Yes, our doxology for this episode is going to be taken in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Thanks for joining the episode today, everybody. If this has been a blessing to you or if you've been encouraged, please share this episode or our podcast with a friend or family member. Uh, Like, subscribe, hit the follow button, give us five stars, review it up the whole nine yards. That's how our podcast gets found by more people. And that would just be a huge blessing to us to hear how you've been encouraged or blessed or uplifted or maybe something you've learned uh, by this podcast. Leave us a review. We might even read some of those good reviews uh, here or maybe some of the bad ones too. We're going to be, you know, we'll we'll read them all. Yeah, we'll read them all. We're not going to hide them. We should do an episode where we read them all and then reveal their identities. (laughs) Well, I don't know if we'll know their identities. But hey, thanks for joining us on this episode. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. May the waves of mercy and waves of grace carry you to the next time. Na 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 na